It is the dystopian future, and technology has really gone too far this time. Everything you do or say is recorded on little cameras, on drones that fly around our homes, our towns, our stores, our places of work. Everything is recorded. And every year on your birthday, you go to court and go on trial for your previous year. Now, it's the night before your birthday, and tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7 o'clock, you have your court date. You're going to be sitting there in the front of a room, packed full of friends and family and strangers and, of course, a judge. And on the big screen in the front of the room, they're going to review everything you did or said this entire year. Can you imagine the anxiety? I heard some nervous laughs already. Can you imagine the guilt you would feel? Your nerves knowing that you can't hide anything from the cold, unforgiving eyes of these cameras on these drones? Thank God we don't live in a society like that. I'm as glad as you are. But we still sometimes feel guilt, right? Maybe even all the time. It's an unfortunate part of being human. Or... Really, it's more like the reaction to an unfortunate part of being human. You see, we know right and wrong. We have that built into us. It's our moral compass, our consciences. As Christians, we know that God wrote His law in our hearts. He gave us this natural knowledge of His law. And we know that He demands complete innocence. And of course, we have to admit that we aren't completely innocent. So really, even though there aren't cameras following us around, there is a God who knows everything. He knows what we've done this past year. He knows what we've done all our years. So we struggle to deal with guilt. And what better place to talk about guilt than in a courtroom? So today we're going to learn from Jesus' trial before Pilate. We're going to look at some examples of how people deal with guilt, how people handle guilt and innocent, and then how Jesus handles the two as well. Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of the area. His official title was Prefect of Judea. This mainly meant he was in charge of the Roman garrison, their military presence there in Judea, but he would also have been in charge of many civil things, too. Jerusalem, Judea, was a pretty volatile place back then, too, a lot like it is today. The Romans weren't going to trust this job to just anyone. Pilate came from a prominent Roman family, so he would have been well-educated and wealthy, well-trusted by the government. This guy's not an idiot. So when the Jews brought Jesus to be tried before him, he could see that Jesus was innocent. He knew Jesus was innocent, but he also knew that he was going to condemn Jesus to death. He knew this because his authority over the Jews really relied on their cooperation. He couldn't afford to instigate an uprising at this point. He would lose his job. It was his job to keep the peace, so he knew he was going to bend to their will. He knew 
that he was going to condemn an innocent man, and he knew that this was wrong. He didn't want to deal with that guilt. He didn't want that on himself. So he washed his hands and he told them, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. Have you ever tried to do this? Our consciences, our consciences bother us when we do wrong. And that feeling of guilt is, is one of the worst feelings there is. Who here likes feeling guilty? Yeah, I thought not. We want to do anything we can to get rid of that feeling, right? So we have, we have all these methods of doing it. Our, our consciences, they're right. We should feel guilty. So we, we oftentimes just want to shift the blame onto someone else. Don't you think Pilate's excuse, if God had come down and said, Pilate, why did you condemn Jesus today? Don't you think his excuse would be, but God, they made me. It's not my fault. I had no choice. They were going to kill him one way or another. I, they forced my hand. I couldn't stop it. It's, it's not my fault. It's theirs. Sound familiar? One of, one of the biggest tips you'll find for dealing with guilt, probably the biggest tip you'll find for dealing with guilt today is, is this one. It's do something about it. Make your own solution. If you've done something bad and you feel guilty about it, do something good to feel good about. Cancel it out. If you upset your wife by saying something mean or not saying something nice that you should have said, buy her flowers, buy her chocolates, buy her a nice diamond necklace. That'll make it better. If you got caught cutting corners at work and your boss is upset with you and you feel guilty about that, well, work harder. Take on a project that maybe you didn't have to do, but is going to make him happy. We've all seen this at play in, in children, right? Where, where the little boy hurts the little girl, and, and she's crying, and, and he is saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and he starts screaming, I'm sorry at her, stop crying, make me feel better, be better already so I don't have to feel so bad. We, we want to shift the blame, we want to lose our guilt some way, Somehow. So Pilate didn't want that guilt on himself. He declared him, himself innocent just by washing his hands in a bowl of water. The Jews, on the other hand, how did they react? This is nuts. They said, let his blood be on us and our children. Are you kidding me? Yikes. They didn't even care about guilt at this point. They didn't care what was right or wrong. They just wanted Jesus dead. What they wanted just completely overshadowed everything, every idea of what's right or what's wrong. This was worth it to them. They didn't care if it was guilty or not. Are you guilty of feeling the same way sometimes? This one's harder to imagine, maybe. But don't our own wants, our own desires, the things we feel, aren't those so much more powerful in our hearts than sometimes what God wants? Isn't it so hard to want God's will sometimes? Maybe it's, it's the case where we say, you know, I know it's wrong, but God forgives me. Another, another big thing we have going on here, well, there are really two things going on at work here. Acceptance and denial. So acceptance, we figure, you know what, I know it's going to make me guilty, 
but God's going to forgive me. It'll be worth it. We, maybe sometimes we don't even think until the deed is done. That's acceptance. That's saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take that guilt on me. And, and really, that acceptance is denial, isn't it? It's saying, I, I know it's going to make me guilty, but, but being guilty of this isn't, isn't really something I should be worried about. It's, it's not that big of a deal. That's more like denial. And, and isn't denial one of our favorite ways to deal with things that make us uncomfortable? How foolish that really is. One, one article I read about dealing with guilt this last week said this, Chances are, unless you have committed a serious crime, you may have nothing to feel guilty about. In fact, you may find out that someone else has been feeding you lies. That's basically this. Are you feeling guilty? Well, don't. You don't have to. And you know what? Maybe everyone else is wrong and you're the real victim here. Does that sound familiar? I'm just going to come out and say it. The problem with these two things, these, these methods, they just flat out don't work. Not at all. We, we can't just wash our hands of guilt. That would be like a criminal sitting in court, hearing the jury read the guilty verdict. We find the defendant guilty, and him standing up and saying, um, excuse me, Your Honor, I'm innocent now. I decided. Okay, cool. I'll be on my way. It doesn't happen. That's unheard of. That's not how guilt works. Or, or, or maybe we go the route of trying to make up for things, but, but that doesn't work either. That, that little boy screaming at his sister, stop hurting, stop crying so I feel better. That doesn't make it better, does it? Or, or Judas throwing those 30 pieces of silver back into the temple to try to make up for betraying Jesus. That didn't take away his guilt. There's, there's nothing we can do. The past can't be undone. It's like those ships on the canal. We can't lift them. It's an impossible task. There's, there's not just some ledger book out there that has all the bad things you've done and all the good things you've done, and if you're in the black, you're, you're good to go. That'd be like that, that criminal in the courtroom saying, hearing his guilty verdict read and then saying, well, excuse me, judge, I, I know I murdered that person, but man, I, I did really well at giving to charity, and I volunteered at the soup kitchen, and I, I wrote a really good scientific paper on something that's going to create clean energy, so it, it doesn't really matter that I killed that person, right? No, that's not how it works. Now, while, while we're talking about the Jews' reaction here, I've always been tempted to look at that and, and say, man, how evil were these people? I'm glad I'm not like that because, because I can tell you for sure if I was back then, I wouldn't have been screaming for Jesus' blood. I've never screamed for someone to be killed. It feels good to compare ourselves sometimes. And I, I think that's why our, our news talks so much about all the, all the most violent crimes and, and the grisly, grisly murders, all the different things that happen because we like to see those things because they make us feel good that we haven't done as bad of things. Those things truly are awful. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe you just legitimately aren't as bad. Maybe you haven't committed as much sin as someone else. 
But that's not how it works either. Back to that courtroom, that, that criminal hears his, his guilty verdict read and, and he stands up and he says, Your Honor, listen. I only killed two people. I know you had a trial this morning for a guy who killed five. So, I mean, he killed five. I only killed two. That's not such a big deal, right? I shouldn't have to be punished. Thanks, I'll be on my way. No, that's not how it works. So if we're going to talk about guilt, we should talk about what it is. And, and really, there are two kinds of guilt. So far today, we've been mostly talking about the first kind of guilt, and that's feeling guilty. That's our reaction to knowing we've done something wrong. That's, that's been the main, main object of our discussion today with the second kind of guilt kind of lurking in the background. That second kind of guilt is the guilt we need to be worried about. That's factual guilt. It's, it's the liability for punishment. It's just the fact that you've done something wrong, whether you feel bad about it or not, and you deserve punishment for it. That's what we need to be scared of, because we do have that kind of guilt. And that's why God gives us that first kind of guilt, the guilty feelings, too. He wants us to realize that we have that second kind of guilt. He doesn't want us to deserve punishment. He doesn't want to punish us. So he gives us this, this guilty feeling so that we go searching for a solution. He wants to give us that solution, but as humans, don't we like to come back to these, these solutions that we've been talking about, just, just washing our hands, denying our guilt, or, or just accepting it, saying, sure, I'll take it, it's worth it, or comparing ourselves. Those, those are the solutions we like to go to, but, but God wants us to turn to his solution. Are you feeling maybe at this point a little guilty? A little beat down? Or maybe even hopeless? Don't be afraid. Remember who's on trial here. It's Jesus. Look at what he says and does. It's really amazing. Jesus is on trial for absolutely nothing. He's done nothing wrong, ever. Imagine if you were on trial for doing nothing wrong. And all these people are bringing these wild accusations against you. Things that are clearly made up. Things that are completely false. You have an alibi. You can prove you didn't do the things they're accusing you of. You can, you can easily show every accusation that they bring is false. And your life is on the line. They're, they're talking death penalty here. Aren't you absolutely going to defend yourself? You're going to stand there all day and you're going to shoot down and, and, and argue and, and prove your innocence. At least, I hope we would. That, that's, what, that's what you would do. Now, I said, look at what Jesus says and does, but what I really should have said is look at what he doesn't say or do. Remember, Jesus was innocent, and Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He was trying to give Jesus an out. He was saying, Jesus, come on, work with me. Give me something to, to prove your innocence. Give me something to work with so that I can shut down all these accusations they're bringing against you. I, I, I don't want to condemn an innocent man. But Jesus didn't take that out. He said nothing to, 
to stop these accusations. He doesn't take that opportunity and instead he just simply acknowledges the charges against him. That's an amazing act of love. He's allowing this impossibly horrible thing to happen, this, this incredibly unjust thing to happen to him. He didn't need Pilate's out either. Remember, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. He has an even bigger out than Pilate declaring him innocent. He could have just walked away at any time. He could have walked out of that courtroom. He could have struck the soldiers who were beating him down. As the soldier was aiming the nail and and winding up the hammer, he could have just stopped it then, at any point. He could have called his army of angels to come save him from this, this death. But he didn't do that. He so easily could have stopped it. But he didn't out of his love for us. That's exactly what he did. He, he consented to being hurt. He consented to being killed. Through this whole trial, he, si- he simply stands there. He never defends himself. And he allowed it all to happen because it was his father's will. It was his will, too, to save us. You see, the wages of sin is death. We know that passage from the Bible very well. That's what we're guilty of. We're guilty of sin. Therefore, we deserve death. Throughout time, people have committed a lot of sin. Just ask anyone who was on March break camp. We went to the Ram and we saw all sorts of historical artifacts. God's two biggest rules, love me above everything else and love your neighbor, love other people. And throughout history, if you go to the Ram, you'll see idol after idol after idol where people have worshipped other gods or not even gods, worship things other than God. Consistently, amazingly consistently, we've failed to follow that first rule. The second rule, too, love other people. But you go to a museum, and what do you see there? You see weapons. You see incredible weapons. You see how much thought and time and effort went into creating tools to hurt other people. That's not love. That's not God's will. And we're just as guilty as our ancestors. Humankind has built up quite a bit of sin. Quite a bit of guilt. And Jesus had none of it. If you think about God's courtroom, Jesus was on trial that day. All of our sin, all of humankind's sin of all time was being put on him. And he stood silently. He didn't say anything to defend himself, even though this was incredibly unjust. We'd expect an angry God, wouldn't we? We broke his rules pretty drastically, pretty horribly, incredibly horribly. But that's not what we get. We get a God of love. He sent... Jesus, his dear son, to endure this ridiculous trial. He sent Jesus to take all of our guilt, all all of our sin, on himself. He sent him to suffer death on a cross for us. To pay all the punishment of sin for us. Remember how God says the wages of sin is death? Well, this is how we know that that wage has been paid, that that penalty has been paid. In just two weeks, we're going to be back here on Sunday morning, 
celebrating Easter, celebrating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is how we know that the wages of sin have been paid. Jesus' death didn't stick. All the price for sin was paid, so there's, there's no reason for him to stay dead anymore. We enjoy, we enjoy that blessing through faith, don't we? It, it's because of that that we're, we're now guiltless, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We get to enjoy God's greatest gift ever, which is eternal life in heaven with him. I think we can relate to another man in this story. At the very end, we hear about Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a violent revolutionary guy. He was probably guilty of a lot of things, maybe even murder. He was was clearly guilty. And, And he was set free. The guilty man was set free. While Jesus, the innocent man, was executed. That's not what's supposed to happen, isn't it? That's backwards. But that's exactly what happens with us, too. We are guilty. But we're set free. And the person who had that freedom, Jesus, who is innocent, he's the one who was punished in our place. That's the trade he makes with us. He takes our guilt and gives us his innocence. Isn't that kind of ironic, though? The people there screamed that day, let his blood be on us and our children. And that's exactly what God offers. Jesus' blood is what paid for all sin of all time. His blood is on all people. That's God's wonderful love for us. That's what he offers to us. He invites us to believe that. Pilate tried to wash the blood off his hands. But it's really Jesus' blood that washes us from our guilt. It washes our guilt away. Jesus took that guilt on himself and he gives us his innocence. That's that's the trade he gives us. That's the exchange he offers. Friends, that's amazing love. Let's take him up on that deal. Let's stop trying to deal with our guilt in all these foolish ways, trying to deny it or trying to put it on someone else or just simply accepting it in in defiance. Instead, let's look to Jesus as our solution. That's what he's there for. And let's live in the freedom from guilt that he gives us. Let's let's enjoy his innocence and, and the comfort of knowing that he bought us with his blood. Amen.